Good morning, New Life family. It's good to be here. Who let me up here? Jeez. I really did it. I'm doing it, Mom. I'm really doing it. Um, it's good to be with you guys this morning. My name's Alan. I'm the student pastor here. If you're watching online, it's great that you're tuning in. We're glad to have you here. You can actually go ahead and open up your Bibles and turn it to Luke chapter 15. You can take your phones out, scroll up to Luke 15. We'll start in verse 11. We'll be there towards the back end of the message. Uh, we'll camp out there. We'll go through a few different scriptures to to talk about this topic of God as Father, but we'll land there. So like Chris said, we're in week two of series basics, and uh, this morning we'll be covering the topic, the weighty topic of God as Father. It's a topic that I'm uh, uh, personally passionate about. Uh, th this topic is, uh, God as Father was a kind of a nebulous concept for me uh, growing up, not only, uh, not growing up really in the church, around the church, uh, around tons of Christians, but I also grew up in a home without a dad. And uh, I say that, and a lot of you immediately resonate with that. You know, you know how it's like uh, to grow up in, in a house without, without dad around. And I just pray that this, that this message is a blessing to you, and that you see God as Father in a totally different way as a result uh, of this morning. And um, this topic actually began to intrigue me, though, uh, because God presenting himself as a father to someone who grew up without a father it was very intriguing, and it's actually the reason why I ended up giving my life to Jesus uh, later on in my life, and you'll hear more, more about that in a little bit, but this topic is huge, and it, it's super basic to our understanding, not just of the faith, not just of Christianity, uh, but, but who God is and how he wants to relate to us, right? It's so important. And so the main idea, I just want to start by, by showing you kind of our thesis, our main idea, our big idea for the morning so that you already know what we're, what we're going to talk about, the direction that we're going and it'll be up on the screens. Knowing God as Father is central to knowing who, who we are, right? It's central to knowing who we are, and God desires for us to know him as a perfect father. And this can only be experienced through faith in Jesus, the perfect representation of God's fatherly heart. Everything we, we're going to cover this morning is going to stem from that. And so the direction we're going to go with that is, is one, we're going to start with the importance of the role of dads in our lives, the roles of earthly fathers. And then we're going to, we're going, going to go into um, how Jesus gives us a picture of the fatherly heart of God, like how he, how he shows us that. And then lastly, we're going to finish with what it looks like for God to become our father. Does that sound good to you guys? You good to roll with that? All right, awesome. <laughs> Amen. That's right. All right, so I want to start out <laughs> by... St by talking about God as Father, by traveling back in time to the greatest decade of all time. This ruffled some feathers last service, but it's the 90s, definitely. Any millennials in here? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Any millennials, raise your hand, be proud. Yes, yes, millennials. The 90s, it was great. We had Nickelodeon. We had, we had rap. Uh, we had all the things, right? And uh, specifically, though, we had the prime of the talk show era, okay? Some of you are like, oh, Lord, where, where are we going? We had the prime of the talk show era, right? We, we had this wholesome, family-oriented talk show dynamic uh, that we just had the privilege of enjoying. And those of you, even with the rabbit ears, you were up there, you had to finagle it. And you got one of these shows on those rabbit ears, right? Like, you, one of these shows was on at 9 a.m. every morning until Kingdom Come. Right? Shows, wholesome shows like Jerry Springer, <laughs> Ricky Lake, Steve Wilkos, Mari, Jenny Jones, and I, I didn't have this one originally, but I was, I was going over this with my wife, and uh, she was like, oh, 
You didn't say Montel. So Montel, right? Uh, I didn't know she was a Montel fan, but Montel, uh, all those wholesome family shows, just kidding, they were absolute, absolutely terrible, not wholesome at all. Do not recommend them. Don't go watch them. Don't go Google them because they're not on TV anymore. Bad idea. If you watch those, repent. Just kidding. But on the Jenny Jones show, on the Jenny Jones show, I actually never watched the Jenny Jones show. I was more of a, a Springer guy myself. Just kidding. Uh, they were they were doing a segment. Some of you may know if, if this is you. It's okay. Like we're all we're all humans here. We they they did this segment called Boot Camp My Preteen. Boot Camp My Preteen. All right. And, and what they would do is it was it was this whole fiasco, right? Like they would they would bring sadly they would bring in these like troubled kids, and I genuinely think that they were struggling, and uh, you know there was some some tension between them and their their families. And uh, they would bring in uh, these kids and get them to act up, like ask intentional questions to get the crowd riled up, get the kid riled up, and then they'd get the crowd involved. And then, after all that, they would bring in this, like, big, scary drill sergeant, right? And he's like, ah, you know, you better get your act together, blah, 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 right? And they would bring him in to scare the kid into obedience, which that never happens, by the way, right? Like, that's not the best way to go about it. But they did it because it got views, right? And so... In particular, there was this, uh, this segment on the Jenny Jones show where they brought, they brought this 10-year-old boy out with his mom. And uh, this is a real video. It's out there. Uh, I cry literally every time I watch it. Ask my wife. It's, it's brutal. But the video starts. They, they, the, the kid, uh, the, the drill sergeant comes down, and he leans down and gets right in the kid's face. And he's like, he starts out by this. He's like, do you love this woman right here? Pointing to his mother. You love her, right? And he, he nods his head yes. Like, he doesn't say anything verbally. He nods his head yes. And he's like, yes, sir, right? Yes, sir, right? And he's like, yes, sir, you know? And, uh, and then, and then uh, right after this, the drill sergeant says, now, now you're not an adult until you turn 18. He's 10, you're not an adult until you turn 18. Do you want me to be your daddy for the next eight years, right? Like this, this tough language, right? You want me to be your daddy for eight years, the next eight years, son, do you? And the boy pauses, and then he answers, yes, sir. The drill sergeant confusingly says, you do? This is exactly how the video goes. He's like, you do? He's kind of taken back. The crowd's laughing, right? They're totally missing this boy's cry. And the drill sergeant says, you do? And he, he says, yes, sir. And then he says, why do you want me to be your daddy? And the kid chokes up, tears in his eyes. He responds, I have no daddy. Isn't that just... It's gut-wrenching. I mean, I, I'm a mess when I watch it. I don't know why I, I pull it up and watch it sometimes, but I do. It's awful. And, and I share that not to just make you sad. I share that because I want to highlight something that's true for a lot of us in this room, whether we've thought about it or not, whether we've discussed it or not, and it's this. The subject of dad, the subject is father. It's just not an easy one. It's not. When, when dads get brought up, it's not easy for a lot of us in this room. Many of us in this room have some sort of father wound that we've carried maybe for a long time, maybe for a few years. Or if you don't do that, you're probably closely connected to someone who does. And, and stats from the National Fatherhood Initiative, it's heartbreaking, but it shows us that as a country, like in our culture, this is definitely a true thing. About one out of every four kids in America live without biological dad in the home consistently. Over 70% of children diagnosed with behavioral disorders come from fatherless households. Kids, kids who live without dad in the home four times greater risk of poverty, two times more likely to go to prison, three times more likely to commit a crime, more likely to face abuse, 
more likely to be neglected. The list goes on and on and on. The role of a father is foundationally important to our existence. And this will be up on the screens. Not only is the subject of dad difficult for many of us, our, father, or our relationships with our earthly dads, it deeply shapes our view of God as father, doesn't it? Like that kind of makes natural sense. What I mean is, if your dad was impersonal or apathetic, like he wasn't really engaged in your life, you're probably going to struggle believing that God is deeply personal, like the scriptures paint him to be. If your dad was absent, just hands off totally, you're probably going to struggle believing that God cares enough about being present in your life. If your dad was angry, he had anger issues, he blew up a lot, he had lots of outbursts, you may see God as an extension of your earthly dad and you walk on eggshells around God. You tread lightly because you don't want to stir him up. You don't want to get him angry. You don't want to disappoint him. You're afraid of him. If your dad was a workaholic and, and, and wanted you to be, he put that pressure on you. You may believe that you find the only way that you're valuable and worth something is if you're, you're busting your tail 24-7, constantly working, constantly at the grind. And he's up there scoffing when you take a break. If your dad treated you that way, you might project that on to, to God. And I say this one with, with great sensitivity here. Uh, if your dad was abusive in any way, shape, or form, if you experienced abuse from your dad, and then you hear that God wants to be your father, he wants to be this, this involved father in your life, he, he wants this intimate, close relationship with you, and you hear all these things, but, but, you, but you experience abuse from your dad, it's going to be really, really hard for you to truly believe that deep down in your soul about God the Father, isn't it? Or maybe you had a fantastic dad. On a lighter note, maybe you had an awesome dad. He showed you the love of God in tangible ways. He modeled Jesus for you often in the way that he treated your mother and your siblings and your family. And you were able to see the fatherly heart of God more clearly because your dad showed you that each and every day. Imperfectly, but he showed you that. And I thank God for good dads. I know a lot of them. And I just praise God for good dads. And I praise God for good moms too, by the way. I see y'all looking at me. <laughs> wherever you land here, though, wherever, wherever you're at, we're, there's, there's a couple hundred people in this room. There's a, that means a couple hundred different stories. But wherever you land, here's a beautiful reality. It'll be up on the screens. God wants us to know who he is. It's simple but profound. He wants us to know who he is. This God knows, wants us to know who he is. It's not a mystery. Thank God he didn't just leave us down here for us to interpret what he could be like or what he may be like or use our own imaginations to conjure up some form of God that we hope to be true. He's not silent in this conversation whatsoever. And firstly, he's revealed himself in countless ways in creation, right? Like, gosh, all you got to do is go outside. Olivia was talking about the birds and the, the frost, and some of you love frost, some of you hate frost, but it's, it, could, it could be beautiful, right? You look at the sunrises, the sunsets. We live in the most beautiful area in the world, arguably. Uh, go look at a sunset. Go watch the sunrise. Go listen to the birds. Go listen to the birds. Go look at the ocean, the rivers, the lakes, the human body, the mind, a, a medium steak. Not medium well, not well done, a medium steak. Glorious. Love, laughter, friendship, family, all those things point to this glorious God who's revealing himself to us. But that's not where it ends, right? That's where it starts, but that's not where it ends. That's the, kind of the horizontal thing. Now let's look at this vertical glorious thing. 
They, the horizontal is just signs pointing to something ver vertical that's even more glorious. And what's more important here is this. It'll be on the screens. God has re revealed himself most clearly in Jesus. He has revealed himself most clearly in Jesus. We see that in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. And this is key here. Through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So to understand God, to understand who God is, what he's like, we look to Jesus. That's what we see right here in the text. To know who he is, we look to Jesus. So what does Jesus reveal about God? What does he, what does he reveal about God? What can we learn about God from him about 2,000 years ago? Uh, Jesus, although being eternal, right, uh, is born of a virgin miraculously. This is God coming to us. This is God wrapped in human flesh. This is the in incarnation, the exact imprint of God's nature. And then later on in his life on earth, Jesus begins his earthly ministry. He begins revealing things about God that we have to take note of, revealing uh, uh, to us the, the nature of God, how God wants to be known. He teaches us that God is this creator, that he's, he's omnipotent, that he's, he's sovereign, that he, he cares quite a bit about the outcasts, the, the rebels, the people who have gone astray. He, he, he cares about sinners coming to repentance, that he's, that he's establishing this kind of upside-down kingdom that's kind of crazy when you first uh, read it, but it's, it talks about how the last are going to be first in the kingdom. It talks about how the humble are the ones that get exalted, right? To live means to die to self. The least are the greatest, and so many more amazing truths, but it is undeniable, undeniable, that the main priority and focus of the teachings of Jesus, something that we need to understand that's absolutely basic when forming our understanding of God is this. This will be up on the screens. God is a father. He is a father. Jesus teaches us that not only God is a father, that God wants to be known as a father. And we know this because Jesus uh, uh, used father to describe God primarily. It's number one on the list. He refers to God as Father over a hundred times throughout the four Gospels. Most of these occurrences coming uh, from the Gospel of John. So he uses Father as the main way to describe God. And that's, that's huge. God being described as Father occurs in several core texts of the Gospels. And I need your participation here. Uh, Awana kids, if you grew up in Awana, this is your time to shine. Uh, Matthew 6, 9. Jesus says this, Pray then like this, our our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. John 14, 9. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. That's right. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We also see that God is this triune God. He's three in one. This mysterious, beautiful dynamic of how God has revealed himself to us. You have God, the, the Father, and the Son, and the Spirit, right? If you want a detailed explanation of the Trinity, email c-d-i-l-l-o-n at nlcca.org. If you're having family drama, that's also the email you need to, to send. <laughs> Matthew 3.16. Uh, when Jesus comes to be baptized by John the Baptist before his earth, earthly ministry begins, we see... God the Father 
uh, revealing himself with the Son in the baptism, and the Holy Spirit is present as well. Uh, it says this, Matthew 3.16, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. It's abundantly clear the scriptures show us that God wants to be known as a father, right? It's undeniable. This was a, this was a difficult thing for me to understand. Uh, growing up, like, like, like so many of you in this room, uh, I grew up without a dad. I mentioned that. I didn't have a personal relationship with a dad. I didn't have a dad in the home consistently. I will say this. I had a wonderful mother. I call her superwoman. She was there for me every step of the way. Same with my brother, Trey. She never missed a game. She worked full-time, busted her tail, never missed a game. Not only that, she filmed every game on the old school little, uh, little News 13 cameras, right? And then we would go home and plug the little red, white, and yellow things in and then watch it on her TV, right? That was my mom. She was wonderful, best mom ever. And I'm grateful to God for her. But dad wasn't there. My dad struggled with addiction. He was in and out of the home constantly. And because of that, unfortunately, we would leave the home while that was happening. And one, one particular night, we left the home, and we, we stayed the night at a friend's house. And the next day, my brother and I woke up, and we were outside playing. And uh, my mom uh, approached us with tears in her eyes. And unfortunately, my mom had to tell me as a 7-year-old and my brother as an 8-year-old that my dad had passed away, that he had taken his own life. And being a, being a seven-year-old, right, like, you, you don't know how to process that. You have no idea how to process that. At the time, I was too young to understand the full weight of what happened. But I would go into my teenage years with a deep, indescribable, painful wound in my soul. And, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. There was a couple people from uh, the previous service who, who talked to me about this same thing that they had in their soul, this father wound. And, and what I'm learning, the older I get, more, the more I'm following Jesus, the, what I'm learning is we are all hardwired to crave the blessing of a father, aren't we? It's in us all. Young and old, it's in us all. We, we, we're hardwired by our creator to crave the blessings of a father. And when we don't have that, it creates a barrier in our lives. Louis Giglio, a pastor out of Atlanta, he says this, and it'll be up on the screens, we're all intrinsically wired to flourish under the waterfall of our Father's blessing. If something goes wrong and that needed flow is diverted, the sting we feel is real and the downstream consequences cannot be ignored even if we try to push them out in the distance. But here's the thing. Regardless of whether or not you grew up with an earthly father, we all are in need of a heavenly father. All of us. We're all in need. And, and, and what's wonderful about God as Father is that he's more than just a reflection of your earthly dad. He's more than that. He is the perfection of your earthly dad. He is not just this bigger, better, more present version. He is a perfect father. He's perfect. Author and theologian J.I. Packer in his great book, Knowing God, he says this, and I love this. He says, what is a Christian? The richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. If you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. 
God wants to be your father. And I want to walk us through five truths we see in Scripture about God as our Father. And we're about to walk through uh, a few different passages, so buckle up, get ready. And uh, before we do that, though, I, I would love to, to spend some time just praying to our Father, and then we'll continue. Father, we uh, just thank you for this time together. One of the greatest privileges of, of the Christian is to have the honor of calling you Father. And I ask that you reveal yourself in us in clear ways over the next few minutes. Let us all sense your fatherly heart, your presence, your love, your drawing us, your wooing us, your power, your authority. But God, let us not just sense that. But let's respond to these things this morning. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our first truth we see uh, is actually from Galatians 4. You don't have to turn there. Uh, Galatians 4. The last four truths are from Jesus himself, but this is too important to skip over. Galatians 4 shows us that point number one, truth number one that God graciously adopts. He graciously adopts. Paul hears, he reveals a major reason for Jesus coming, and it's staggering. It's loaded with awesomeness. Galatians 4, 4 through 7, when the time came to completion, God sent his son. Now remember Jesus, this is Jesus. Jesus is how we see God's fatherly heart most clearly. So he sent his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And here, when you see sons, just add in and daughters. This is an all-encompassing term. Just like the church is described as the bride of Christ, it doesn't mean that the church is only comprised of women and that God only adopts men. That's not what it's saying at all. This is all-encompassing. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. God sent his son to redeem and then to adopt, right? He sent his son to redeem us. We are in need of redemption. And then adoption occurs. So it's important here to, to point out that this teaching, uh, that this is teaching that we aren't born into this world as God's children. And that may go against some of, some of our theology, but yes, we are imprinted with his image, made in his image. That is absolutely true. Yes, God uh, is pleased with his creation. He says that his creation is good. But it's clear in this text that through redemption we receive this opportunity to be adopted into his family. Redemption is gaining possession of something in exchange for a payment. And we'll talk about that payment in a little bit. Redemption comes first. God adopts people on the basis of faith in his son. We are not grandfathered into the faith, right? But... When we put our faith in Jesus, when that redemption occurs, this, this beautiful thing happens. We receive adoptions as sons and daughters. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. And we, we become his children. Verse 6, it, it tells us that the spirit of his son is in the hearts of those who believe, and it is crying, Abba, Father. Abba is this, this intimate Aramaic word uh, when sons and daughters are addressing their father, right? It's, it's steeped with intimacy and, and this, this focus on on. Uh, relationship and I love that so God as father not only he graciously adopts truth number two he, he generously provides he not only graciously adopts he generously provides Jesus tells us about God the father in Matthew 7 verses 7 through 11 and we'll read that quickly it says ask and it will be given to you Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. 
and to the one who knocks it will be opened love this or which one of you if his son asks him for bread will give him a stone or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him Jesus here, he's highlighting the, the fatherly heart of God towards his children, right? Our father wants to hear from us like a good dad does. His door is open. It's not closed. His, his ear is inclined. It's not shut off. He's not annoyed or bothered at our uh, childly requests, right? He's, he's not distant. He's not far away. He's close to us. That's the kind of thing that Jesus is communicating here. He's not huffing and puffing, frustrated that you're knocking on his door once again. And for some of us, that's the picture of God that we have, right? Now listen, I do think that children just know the exact moment when we put our heads down on our pillows, don't they? Can I get an amen? Oh, you you got a long day. You worked really hard, right? You know, you kick your feet up. You're hanging out, you know, and as soon as you lay that head down, right? They know. They got a spotty sense. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. But that's not God. He wants to hear from us. And we see in verses 9 through 11 that, that fathers want to give their children good things. They delight, in that. they delight in that. It's not a burden. It's not a burden to them. And it's true of earthly dads too. How much more is this true of God the Father if it's true of earthly dads, good earthly dads? A few weeks ago, I was in Sam's Club. Anybody like Sam's Club? Yeah, it's okay. I see you, Carrie. Sam's Club is awesome, all right? Uh, and so I was strolling through, and you, you guys know, man, you walk in there, and it's just like, boom, you're hit with all the, the, just the sinful temptation to buy that thing right there. As soon as you walk in, it's on, it's on the left, or that first, those first couple of aisles where it's like seasonal stuff, where you're like, I gotta have that, right? And I was walking, and uh, I saw this, this gift in all of its glory, sitting on the top shelf where no one else could see it but me. And it was this thing. I don't know why I put that picture up there. Oh, Lord. It was that, right? So it was on sale. I had to get it. Y'all know. It was on sale. I had to get it. I got it. Took it home. And I bought this for my boys, right? I didn't buy this for me. Y'all know. Listen, don't be, don't be judging me. I, I'm a good dad. I like to bestow good gifts to my kids, okay? So I bought it for my boys. We set it on, like, the little bar area, and we were loading the thousand bullets in the clip there that's what got me by the way if that was just if it was just the gun and not the clip i wouldn't have bought it but that thing is i'm just like a little kid i'm like i gotta have it right so we started loading it up and i was like i can't wait to just play with my kids with this then i proceeded to pick that thing up and unload on them right (laughs) and i loved it it was awesome and then we did target practice you know shooting each other and I, i let them shoot me and you know only to be fair is that what the text is saying is that what it's talking about Maybe not. Maybe I misinterpreted it. But I am saying here, Jesus is pointing out the fact that regardless of how good earthly dads are, they're imperfect. They're not perfect. Their Heavenly Father's provision, His love, His care, that's the standard. God's fatherhood is better, better all the time in all circumstances, and His Father heart can always be trusted. So God, His Father, not only graciously adopts, He not only generously provides, He lovingly pursues. That's truth number three. Matthew 18, 12 through 14 captures this beautifully. It says, 
Jesus says, he asks the question, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. He rejoices over the one more than he does the 99. Y'all know that song. Please deny me. Or whatever. Something like that. I like that song. So it's, so it's not the will of my Father, Jesus says, that um, not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. God as a Father pursues us. He comes after us. He runs after us. There's no greater example of God's loving pursuit than Jesus coming here and dying a sinner's death on a cross. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. It's the greatest rescue mission the world's ever seen. And it shows us that God is a God who pursues. He's not just sitting on his throne far away, uninterested in what's going on. He not only came to us, he came to us so that we can become his children. He died for us. It's not his will for us to perish. If you're in here, I just want to ask you this question, if you would be so, so bold to slip your hand up if this is your story. If your story is you were wayward, you were lost, you were dead in your sins, uh, you, you were blazing your own trail, but God pursued you and found you in a place where you were desperate for him, and because of you colliding with his love and his grace and ultimately the gospel, your life is not the same. If that's you, can you just show your hand? Can you guys just kind of look around real quick? See this as evidence that God is a God who pursues. And I love to see all these hands. It's amazing. So God not only graciously, God as Father not only graciously adopts, not only generously provides, and lovingly pursues, number four, and I love this one, he powerfully protects. He powerfully protects John 10, 27 through 30. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they'll never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has, get, who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. A basic need of a child is to know that they're safe and protected, right? You guys have kids? Like if a kid goes up into the kids' ministry and their safety is compromised, you're not going to send them back. Safety is a child's number one priority. It's a basic necessity of a child. And so Christ followers, we actually belong to our Father and nothing can take us from that. We're safe in Him and He powerfully protects us. And I love that we can say that about our Father. Our Father powerfully protects us. We can't be snatched away from Him. This is not saying we're exempt from pain and suffering. That's a lie. You're not exempt from pain and suffering just because you're a Christ follower. You will experience those things. You'll experience trauma. You'll experience hardships. Those are all coming. But this is highlighting that our place, our standing as his children doesn't change because our Father powerfully protects us. Right? God's children are his and no one else's. No one is able to snatch us out of the Father's hand. So to illustrate this... Um, and uh, to lighten this up a little bit. Uh, parents in the room, I need some crowd participation. If you have kids, this is for you. If you don't have kids, imagine that you do for just a little bit. If there was a mecca of southern enjoyment, a place you could bring your family that encompasses all things from the south that you could bring your family to to have that experience, 
Some of you already know your answer. Think about it for three seconds, four seconds. If there was a place you could take your family that was like Southern enjoyment, that place. Let's do this. Uh, I want to hear from this side first, and then I want to hear from this side second. Y'all have a little bit longer. So, uh, what's the place? Just yell it out. Come on. Did I hear Belk? <laughs> Belk? Okay. Awesome. Belks. I think I got these pants from there. Yeah. Uh, say it again. I want to hear you. Dollywood? Okay. Okay. Let me hear more. Two, three more. Carowinds? Okay, I love Carowinds. Top Gun. What else? Bucky's. Can, can, whoever said that, can you just show your hand? Uh, yes! I can't really see you. I'm sorry. Awesome. So Bucky's, Belks, Dollywood, uh, Carowinds, one more. Come on. Huh? Pigeon Forge. Okay, I like it. Yeah. Pigeon Forge. Okay, awesome. That embodies southern, yes, southern stuff. Okay, okay, this side. I, I have a feeling this is going to be good. Go. What is it? What is it? Cracker Barrel. Cracker Barrel. Oh, that is glorious. And I would agree. What else? A couple more. Walmart. Okay, we're done. Moving on. Lord, have mercy. I do like Walmart, though. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's amazing, Walmart. Um, yeah, maybe it is Cracker Barrel. Maybe you just crushed a grandpa's country fried and you're at, the, you're at the little gift shop area and you're just in your happy place. Maybe your whole family, the boys are looking at all the toys. Maybe you're standing in front of the beef jerky section at Bucky's and looking through all the thousands of different examples of, uh, of all the beef jerky, right? That's your happy place. That's the, the totality of Southern enjoyment, right? If you go to Bucky's, get the jalapeno honey jerky, by the way. Um, amen? Yes, Chris Wright. Okay, let's go to Dollywood. You're standing in line at Dollywood you got your family with you, your kids, and you, you get a sweet tooth, so you go in line uh, to get the, the cinnamon monkey bread. Anybody had that? Oh, yeah. You're waiting there with your family, and this, this person uh, walks up to you guys, and he, he gets down uh, level with your kids, and he, spread, and he spreads his arms out, and he grabs your kids and starts to run away. Stay there for a second. You feel that? feel that now don't tell me what you would do to this said person because we have security here <laughs> I, don't, I don't want anybody to get in trouble but do you feel that? that that righteous anger that ferociousness I see the moms y'all are looking at me crazy I get it God put that inside of you and if we have this desire to fiercely and powerfully protect our children how much more does God have that and some of us have a hard time believing this, but this is absolutely true. God actually cares more about protecting his children than you do about your children. Doesn't he? We don't have that capacity. He does. He wants to protect his children infinitely more than you want to protect yours. His fatherly heart cannot allow his children to be taken from him. And we are always his through faith in Jesus. And our last truth here, God as Father graciously adopts I know this is a mouthful. Generously provides, he lovingly pursues, he powerfully protects, and lastly, and we'll camp here, and we'll close here, he, he tenderly loves. 
Make sure to write this one down. We'll close with the passage of the prodigal son, Luke 15. I'm going to summarize uh, verses 11 through uh, 16, and then we'll start in verse 17. His two sons, younger one goes to his father. He says, I want the inheritance. That's basically spitting in his father's face and saying, I don't care about you. I care about what you give me, right? The father gives him the inheritance. He immediately goes, squanders it, wastes it, gives into all the, the temptation that he could give into. Um, and uh, then there's a famine. He loses everything. He goes to this pig farmer. And he's like, hey, can you hire me? He gets hired and he's sent to take care of the pigs. You talk about like rock bottom. You talk about wayward. This is like the, the prime example of that. And then verse 16 says, And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And then we get to verses 17 through 24. And pay attention more here to the father's response than the, 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 the child's uh, mistakes. Because this passage is highlighting this father and his response to a, to a wayward son. Verse 17. When he came to himself, this is the son here, the youngest son, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. Okay, I will arise, go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer to be uh, worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he, he arose and came to his father. But while he, was a still, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they begin to celebrate. How awesome is that? How, how awesome is that? We could spend hours breaking down this passage, but I want to just ask you really quick, just think about this. How would your dad have reacted to you going wayward like that? It's important to think about, right? Because our views of our dads have a lot to do with our views of God as Father. How would your, your dad respond to that? And then look at how God, the Father, in this story responds. He, he runs to his boy. He was eagerly awaiting his return, and then he runs to greet him. And he's like, listen, bring the best robe. Bring the ring, bring the shoes, kill the fattened calf. We're about to celebrate. Invite the neighborhood. We're about to celebrate. For my son was dead, and he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. If that's the father heart of the God that we get to serve, the father who runs to his children to forgive them, who rejoices when the lost are found, I'm pretty good with that. I'm cool with that. A God that treats the rebel with this type of love is a God that's worthy of praise forever. It's a God that I want as a father. And the prayer here too, for, for you guys in the room who don't yet know Jesus, that, he, that God begins to stir your heart up to want him and to crave his uh, presence in your life. I was 20 years old attending Western. Uh, at the end of my rope, too, I was, I was depressed and lost and anything you could ever imagine, that was me. And I remember feeling so angry that I couldn't call my dad. I had my flip phone, pulled it out, called my mother. I was crying. I, she answered the phone. She said, what's going on? I said, Mama, I'm, I'm, I'm angry. I wish I had a dad to call. Sometimes a boy needs his dad, and I don't have it. Why, why did he have to do that? Why, 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 why? And she listened patiently. And then after I was done, she said, son, listen, I, I, I don't know what to tell you. He's gone. I'm so sorry. But you can have God as your father. That's the first time I heard that. And that intrigued the heck out of me. Super intriguing. 
And I began to, to chew on that and, and wrestle with that. And at first it seemed uh, not only awkward, but unfamiliar and even impossible in some ways. But God began showing himself to me and not just his power and his authority and his sovereignty and all that. He started to show me his fatherly heart. And that's what drew me to him. And that's what I want uh, you to be drawn to. And, I, and I sh shortly after that, I gave my life to Christ. And so in closing, let's go back to our main idea here. Knowing God as a father is central to knowing who we are. God desi desires for us to know him as a perfect father. And this can only be experienced through faith in Jesus, the perfect representation of God's fatherly heart. We just read that we need Jesus because we're dead and we need to come alive. So how does this translate to our lives now? And we'll be done. How do we take all of what we just learned, all that scripture, all those truths, how do we take that and apply it to where we're at right now? We can only understand this parable accurately by recognizing that, that, that God saving sinners comes with a price. Remember earlier, Galatians, it talked about this payment. Salvation comes with a price. God and his holiness has to do something about our sinfulness. There has to be a bridge gap between our sinfulness and this holy God. The scriptures say, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, and guess what? Jesus paid that wage by dying in our place. This is the pursuit of God towards us. This is this father running to his child. It's Jesus giving his life on the cross so that we could be set free, forgiven, be adopted into his family, call God his father. It's key to understand that the father in this parable, he would have been totally justified to punish the son. Son came, comes back, he would have been justified. Why? Because uh, he dishonored his father. He broke the commandments to love your mother and your father. Deuteronomy 21 shows us that the law would have led him to being stoned to death or even at the least totally exiled from the community. But the father steps in to restore the lost. The father steps in to restore the lost. We're all deserving of death. We're all deserving of separation. The scriptures teach us that. Separation from God because of our rebellion. But Jesus took that punishment on himself for us. Jesus had no sins to pay for. He was sinless. He was innocent. But he paid for our sins by dying offering his life as a ransom so we could be redeemed, restoring us back to this amazing father. So we'll close with this. The man could go ahead and come on up. The natural question we ask about all this is why? Why would God do it this way? Why is this the reality? Easy answer. Because God wants a fatherly relationship with you. And this is the only way for this to, ha to happen. God dying so that we could live in him. But we know that Jesus didn't just die. He didn't stay in the grave, right? By the power of God, he was resurrected, having victory over death itself, which means something for the child of God. It not only means that the child of God can forever, while being on earth, have fellowship with his father. It means that we can have fellowship with the Father forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. With this God that we just talked about, we get to have fellowship with him. And that's incredible. So, so how can we do that? Simple. Two steps. Repent and believe. 
Repent means to change your mind, to kind of do a 180. Think of the prodigal son. He had that moment where he came to his senses and he realized that he needed to return to his father. He realized that he had no power in and of himself to restore himself back to what mattered most. Repentance is admitting that you're sinful and that you're separated from Almighty God and you can't do anything about it. And then we talk about belief. Belief in what? This nebulous kind of concept of God? No, it's belief that Jesus died to forgive you and put you in right relationship with the Father. And you could do that right there in your seat. You just tell, you just tell God, Father, I, 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 know, I know that I'm, I'm sinful. I'm a mess. I know that I'm learning that the, the, the Bible describes me as being separated from you. And the only way I can be restored back into right relationship with you is if I turn from my ways and pick up yours. If I believe in Jesus who died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, but then he rose to have victory over death and show that there's, there's nothing more powerful than God bringing death, bringing someone from death to life. Change won't come immediately if you do that. You're not going to sprout wings and fly away. Uh, all of your dad wounds are not just going to immediately go away. All of your strongholds are not just going to go away. But you will now be able to rest in the fatherly love of God and you'll be able to walk confidently through, confidently through life knowing that the God of the universe is your father who graciously adopts you, who generously provides for you, who lovingly pursues you, who powerfully protects you, and who tenderly loves you forever. And you can take that to the bank. So if you made a decision, if you want to make a decision, we would love to have a conversation with you. And if you did make a decision right now, please come up front after service and let somebody know. Don't keep that to yourself. We want to celebrate with you. But we also want to help you take the next steps in your faith journey. And if you need prayer at the end of service, please come to visit us as well. We would love to pray with you. And if you're watching online, you can let your chat host know as well. So let's, let's pray together, and then we'll stand and worship. Father, uh, my prayer is that we, we all see you a little differently now. We, we see that you, you want to be our Father. And you've went to the greatest length in order to become that for us by dying for us in our place. So thank you for doing that and thanks for being a father who adopts, who provides, who pursues, who protects, who loves, not because you have to, but you do this willingly and joyfully because you're a good father. Thanks for anyone who made a decision this morning. I just ask that you give them the confidence and the courage to tell someone so that we we can help them take their next steps. We love you. Thank you, Father. It's in your name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand and we're going to worship.